Hi, I'm Dr. V. And I'm Dr. A. Two docs on a mission to answer your burning questions about burning sensations and all things science. This is What the Woo. Now, Mr. Ham and his followers have this remarkable view of uh, a worldwide flood that somehow influenced everything that we observe in nature. A 500-foot wooden boat, eight zookeepers for 14,000 individual animals, every land plant in the world underwater for a full year. I ask us all, is that really reasonable? That's Bill Nye the Science Guy in his infamous debate with Ken Ham, the creationist founder of the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. As Nye learned, it's nearly impossible to debate someone who uses faith and belief to contradict scientific evidence since they can create nearly any narrative they want in order to refute the facts. We see this apply not only to evolution, but to medicine and climate science and all other sorts of world. So how does one live in a world of faith over facts? Can their minds be changed? Today, we talk to two people brought up as creationists in a fundamentalist church who have since renounced those beliefs and gone on to live in the world of mainstream science. What's it like being brought up in that environment? Can their evolution into evolutionists help us understand those who participate in other forms of science denial? That's today on What the Woo. You know, you and I have had lots of discussions about the anti-science crowd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's sort of our life right now. Seriously. So we got to talking, and I was um, talking with a couple of my friends about all this shit and, and their upbringing, right? And uh, thought, dude, this is a great podcast. It is. It is, because I think um, there's sort of this, this misapprehension that uh, people who have these beliefs are like, bad or there's something wrong with them or they're not intelligent and I mean I don't believe that and I don't think anybody does and it's oh I've had moments where (laughs) I'm not gonna lie well uh, yeah I mean it's hard sometimes um in the midst of the discussions not to to get frustrated especially when it's like a measles episode however um I, I do think it's it's really important to sort of talk to people especially when you're talking about that intersection of religion um, because it plays such a fundamental role in your belief system growing up and kind of sets the stage for everything else. So I was really surprised when you told me that you had some friends who had s- sort of come around. Fundamentalists, shall we say? <laughs> but we're no longer. Yeah, and I think that's the key, right? And I feel like that's where like the fascination comes in is like, how did, how did you go from this background and make a 180? So... Yes. I brought some friends in today. I know. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> and I, I mean, what did you bribe them with? <laughs> well, they did get to taste our wine um, from the barrel last night. What? I think it tasted like shit, but oh. we can we can have that discussion on another podcast. Okay. Um, and, you know, maybe my friends have some different opinions. But um, so, got two friends for us. And these are our first uh, guest appearances on our podcast. So, welcome. Um, this thanks is, for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming, you know, <laughs> making the big commute. Um, so we have Jenna and Dave, two of my friends who both grew up in the same religious background um, and have kind of survived it and gotten out of it. And now you can appreciate like that science is real and, you know, it has some good things. 
Um, well, not only gotten out of it, Jenna, what do you do for a living now? Uh, I teach biology for yeah. the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's super interesting, right? And um, so tell me a little bit about your uh, background. Um, so I grew up predominantly in Southern California, San Diego. And my mother brought me up in the church, so I got up every single Sunday and went to church with my mother. I went to the Sunday school while all of the grown-ups went to the big sanctuary. I got a religious indoctrination pretty much as I was being brought up, being surrounded by pretty much only people who also coincided with my mother's beliefs and the beliefs of the yeah. church. So it's a pretty much a echo chamber, and all my friends were friends from the church. I of didn't course. really have any friends from my high school. I would kind of keep to myself at school and be the shy nerd, and then I would go just let everything go with my friends as much as you can as good little Christian kids. Were you <laughs> in a public school system? I was in a public school system. Um, there were some friends that went to private school, but since my parents didn't pay for the private school education, they did their best, or my mother, actually. My father was not religious, but, but uh, my mother did the best she could to make sure that I only associated with people from my church by involving me in as many things church related as she possibly could. I went to church about three to four times a week. That's crazy. It was for college group or the regular service or practice for the band. Well, and Dave is kind of, you know, he went to your same church, but he's a little bit different because your education was different, right? So can you tell me a little bit about, uh, your background and how it intersected with Janice. I was kind of kept in a safety bubble most of my life. Was raised in the church. My Both of my parents worked for the church. So my dad was a licensed minister, ran the sound for the church. And... Why aren't you <laughs> running the sound? I don't even... I know, seriously. I, right? I can help, kind of. So it was... It was interesting. I mean, it was it was pretty much almost 24-7 involved in some aspects of being at the church. We The first couple of houses we lived in were owned by the church. Oh, wow. So we went from one house that was owned by the church to a separate one that was owned by the church. Were you in the public school system? No, I grew up in private school for kindergarten through second grade and then went to homeschooled for a couple of years up until I think it was the end of my fifth fifth grade year. And what was the homeschool, like, education basis? Like, was your mom teaching you because she has, you know, a master's in teaching? No. <laughs> no, and I think that's part of the the ideology that, that kind of came behind the, the church upbringing and everything. It was this sense of that the devil had this influence on the education system so it was like they needed to raise us either in private school or homeschool so they could really um, influence what we were taught and kind of direct that your homeschool system was a uh, religious based homeschool education right yes it was like it was sold by the church or how does how did they get that so i don't remember exactly what, what it was put on it was it was some sort of organization but everything was like religiously backed so we had books that were um i think it was called abeka books that are all based in christian theology so uh, while you're learning the the basics of math uh the science stuff was completely skewed i don't 
Oh, all your remember. word problems are based on religious concepts yeah. in the back yeah. in Mark. Yes. yes. I have three Bibles and Ted has four Bibles. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, oh, the religious shit. stuff, I've seen some of these things as a biology teacher. I just have to laugh um, at the the extent that they go to to discredit the theory of evolution as much as they can. And that's basically their big focus is they do not like the theory of evolution and they do not want their children learning about it so so that's one thing i I think we should probably clarify we're not talking about just like um conservative christian backing this was young earth creation Mm -hmm. the world is only ten thousand years old um so yes they are not going to say they're not progressive they're not going to say hey let's let's accept the ideology of evolution or anything beyond that it was just this is wrong. It doesn't fit with our theology. So therefore it's from the devil and we're not going to teach it to you. So were they worried that if um, evolution was approached as a legitimate thought process and scientifically backed process that therefore God couldn't exist? I think that was their fear. Yeah, I think I think it's just that it starts putting holes into the, the theology because they're... From what I know of it, the reasons why it doesn't fit is you've got the concept of Adam and Eve having original sin, right? And they are the ones that it comes from. So there was two people at one time that only lived on this earth. And we know that that's not, doesn't fit with the the theory of evolution, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't have just two people at one point. So if that's the case, then Adam and Eve couldn't have existed. There can never be original sin, and then it goes into the thought, the, oh. the ideology of would a Jesus come to die for if there was never original sin? So it it kind of makes things all fall apart, right? Yeah, I don't think I ever got that before. <laughs> no, and it's, it's interesting because um, I was I was brought up Catholic, uh-huh. but like really sort of cafeteria Catholic. Uh, like I went once a week and tried to skip out on on CCD, <laughs> but I went to a Catholic um, university. And they, they sort of did toe that line and they're like, look, um, like we know about this whole, like God created the earth in seven days and we choose to look at it as a metaphor. So, Mm -hmm. so it's interesting. Um, it's such a different approach to have that sort of hard line. So I know for you, um, you were brought up on this and it, it sort of permeated every aspect of your life, but for you, Jenna, you were in public school. And Mm so um, I know you said that your social circle were mostly your friends from church. Do you feel like that was um, intentional? Like, did you, did you feel sort of isolated because you had such different views? Or was it like you were much more comfortable? I think part of the reason I had the friends at church wasn't just because, like, my mother was dictating who I couldn't talk to and who I could. But it was that feeling that my views are are basically... Uh, not just different from other kids that I went to school with, but they were like the extreme. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I don't even know to this day whether I actually believed it wholeheartedly, but I knew that I had to mm-hmm. kind of thing. So when, and I was afraid, I remember being afraid to tell people that I was a Christian because yeah. I wanted to be friends with the cool kids and everything. And I didn't yeah. want that stigma kind of, you know, I almost, it's, funny you say that because it's making me think of like a correlation to conspiracy theory where you're like you feel like you have the ultimate truth uh-huh. but you're gonna come off as nutty if you start sharing it but you still believe it yeah 
I think so. I think it was, I think it's hard when you're a kid and you're trying to find your place in the world and you're trying to make friends and you don't know who you are, what you want to be yet, or what kind of personality you're going to put forth and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it just compounds it when you have, you know, I mean, to speak from about it now, these kind of crazy off the wall kind of beliefs that you kind of, like you said, want to keep it to yourself because it just sounds batty. (laughs) It just sounds like... No, I don't believe in that. I believe that, you know, the first man was made out of the dust of the earth and then the woman is a rib from the man and, you know, all of this stuff, literally. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of... And then you take science classes and then you feel persecuted Mm -hmm. because your science teacher is telling you you're wrong about something and not like they ever get up there and say, that's a stupid idea, which is kind of what's perpetuated by, um, you know, Christians now, the persecution kind of feeling that their science teacher, my science teacher told me I was a loser and I was stupid for believing in, I'm like, I've never been in a class that I've ever heard that happen. College professors telling people in movie, Christian movies that are atheists telling them, uh, you know, you have to tell me that there's no such thing as God or I'm going to fail you kind of thing, you know, like stuff that doesn't happen, but. Well, what I've seen that's always sort of interesting is you really have to, whenever you're talking about either conspiracy theories or even just sort of extreme ideological beliefs, in order for it to work, you have to sort of convince people that the other side is bad and not to be trusted and that they have ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that there probably is this fear. Like if you actually are exposed to those people and you get to know that they're not evil and hate you, then that's like the first wedge, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, if they were wrong about that, like, what else might they be wrong about? And it, it's interesting to me that I, you teach biology, like you light up as soon as you talk about that. So I'm, I'm getting a feeling that that may be like the seed of what changed for you. Like all that whole thing about being exposed to public school and like messing you up is exactly what happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So what was the first inkling for you that like all of these, these beliefs that I've held so strongly and... I, I like not just the things I believe, but they're part of my identity that I might not actually believe that. I think it actually was my AP biology class I took as a senior in my public high school. It's the first time I was really introduced to the, the science in an unadulterated way where it wasn't a Christian person or my church or whatever telling me, giving me the straw man version of what evolution was and then beating it with a stick. You know, it was, <laughs> it was just straight up. These are the facts. Here's the evidence that supports these facts. And it wasn't just about the theory of evolution. There were some other things too, that I had, uh, you know, previously been un- unfamiliar with and uh, been told erroneously by other people what it was. Um, but it was kind of like, you know, this just makes so much sense. Yeah. They, I, I'm seeing this, these, you know, this evidence and it's all like lining up with the theory that is presented to me by science and not by the creation theory that I've been told theory. Sorry, it's not a theory. (laughs) The, you know, the idea, the ideology of creationism that doesn't line up with what I'm seeing the evidence. So basically that was my first introduction to critical thinking. Yeah. You know, (laughs) um, both you and Dave have kind of mentioned in sidebar conversations about how your church coached you like that you know somehow oh evolution may be presented to you and then they gave you some guidance about that can either of you tell me about that i mean it kind of it goes back to like i said it's you've got 
they they were basically saying how the devil influenced all of this education so that because he's the god of lies it was to divert people from the truth um and so it was trying to stay away from that it was the yeah we've got to have the again the small safety bubble kind of to to live within to to kind of have like that's the only way to live by the truth really oh and the devil buried the bones of the dinosaurs in the earth to trick us (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So, so it was more of just a, a fear-based, like, people are going to give you scientific information that may lead you to believe that evolution is legitimate, mm-hmm. but just know that those scientific pieces were given by the devil. Pretty much. Okay. Huh. They're being misled. Yeah. So you sort of had that first tickle in the back of your head, like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I there's some BS I've been spilling. What, what about what about for you, Dave? So I, I mean, I think there was a couple things that kind of set me down that path. Part of it was being somewhat critical to a degree, not much, but I think in my high school years where I started really thinking about some of the theology and things that didn't make sense. I think it was kind of the first little uh, creating the chink in the armor, if you will. Um, and then I have to say after meeting my wife for the first time, uh, when we first started dating, um, she was very well educated and started coming at me with the, Hey, evolution is not just a quote unquote theory. It's not just a hypothesis. It was like, this is, you know, obvious fact. And, um, saying the, Hey, the Bible's kind of got some nice stories in it, but there's a lot that's not true. And it was something that I, I mean, I respected her and, made me think more than just uh, thinking, oh, well, that was something she said. and She's the devil. Yeah. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to demonize her. I was just like, oh, okay, well, she thinks this way. Let me think about this a little bit more. And so it really got me thinking. And I think that set me down more of a path of, hey, maybe what I was taught wasn't real. But it's interesting to me because it seems like in your church, the folks that were peddling these thought processes mm-hmm were also presented to you as educated folks. So why was it that those educated folks that were telling you that evolution is not real and is not legitimate um, were suddenly less, I don't know, like their thought processes from your childhood were less legitimate than, you know, the educated person that became your wife? Like why suddenly was it like, your potential wife's education that was now better than the pastor at your church? I, I don't necessarily know I would say it was better. I, I, it's it's something where, because it took a while for me to even let that go. It wasn't like as soon as, you know, she says something, then it's like click and my whole ideology changes and my whole focus changes. That would make marriage so much easier. For yeah, me. right. <laughs> oh, they're right. They're just always right. Is right about everything. <laughs> so no, it was it was just the first thing of, of getting me to think, hey, maybe there's a different approach to this. Maybe there's a different thought process behind this. And maybe there's more behind it than I ever thought about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what got me thinking. It wasn't just let go of everything. And, and again, it took probably, you know, a couple of years after that point to where I was like, oh, this is actually fact. It's not just this, uh, you know, thing that I, I didn't want to believe in. And that's just out there lies peddled by the devil. 
I think too that for most people the deconversion process takes a while. It takes yeah. several years because I didn't either. I didn't walk into my uh, AP class and get my first lesson <laughs> of evolution and then bam, I'm an atheist. Yes. You know, it was it was it's just started a process of self growth and over the you know period that I was in college I was taking you know comparative literature and it was. um, comparative uh, religion classes and looking at different cultures and why people come to their beliefs and, you know, just kind of getting my evil liberal college education (laughs) kind of sort of (laughs) led me down the path to thinking more for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I would go and I would research things on my own. I would get, I just became like a voracious reader of anything I could get my hands on. That was not what I had been brought up so I could get the opposite opinion about everything I thought, became super skeptical, and realized the best way to live my life is to base my beliefs on evidence and to always question, especially if something goes along with my pre-existing beliefs so that I can eliminate as much you know, confirmation bias kind of situations as I could. Were you... Um angry at all about the fact that you had spent so much of your life being brought up in things that you now no longer agree with? Does it bother you? You know, right in the beginning, right as I was starting to really do that 180, I did have some resentment towards um, the things I missed out on when I was younger and just more anger at myself, I think. Than my family, because like my mom did the best she could yeah. with what she thought she was doing, what she thought was the best for me. Um, so I can't blame her for that. I do blame myself sometimes. I'm like, why was, why did I not just think about that a little more? Why did I, why say so accepting and so trusting? Because you're of these taught people? that and I was faith a kid, trumps but... critical thinking, right? And I think that that permeates so much, and that you're evil for these thinking things. independently. Yeah, like you have yes. to quash that, right? Like oh, that's yes. because if somebody specifically says the second that you have that doubt, like that's just the devil. Right. There's definitely the religion has some built in safety mechanisms to prevent people from being able to think for themselves. Uh, It's kind of what a coincidence that anytime you think something different from what the church tells you, they have an answer for that, that, you know, oh, well, you're you're being uh, deceived by the enemy. So you need to I would ask questions in church and that's the answer that I would get. Instead of an answer to my question, I would say, now, why do you think you're wondering that right now? Maybe it's the devil getting inside your head. Do you think that once you guys both started questioning your upbringing and, um, you know, accepting science more, did that really affect your relationships with, you know, family, friends, uh, your church, if you were still involved at all? I I mean, for me, I don't think it, I don't think I really was very open about it. Um, I wasn't going to, I stopped going to church when I was 18. Um, So that really when I started kind of making that transition, I think it was mid to late 20s. So it wasn't a drastic impact on friends, family. And I don't think I've ever been one that's been super outspoken to like call people out on, on anything. So I'm not trying to be, you know, aggressive and telling people they're wrong. So I like to get along with people. I pretty laid back so it didn't impact much um to kind of speak to your previous question I was a little bit resentful towards family um at the time to kind of process everything thinking 
I mean, I don't know how much time I wasted is what I feel like at this point. I felt actually very isolated now when I was a kid and I feel like I could have had better social skills, uh, probably more quality time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yes, but even like being able to connect with people, like I still feel to this day, it's kind of shaped me as a person and not necessary for the, the better where I may not be as social as I want to be or be able to be as social as I want to be because of some of the patterns that were kind of instilled in me. And it, it kind of sucks because I'm like, yeah, I was, I was forced to like live everything in, in the, uh, the bubble of the church basically. And that was it. I was had of a plan because it was the, something could go wrong and, you know, you might get influenced by the devil to do something that was like always there. So I know that we focused on evolution, but were there other, like, did they have sort of the views about vaccines that we see with some of the other fundamentalist communities? You know, this was pre the Andrew Wakefield era. Yeah. Um, I think I graduated high school the same year that that paper was published. So it wasn't part of the mainstream, you know, conversation at the time. Um, I don't know anyone who was anti-vax. I don't think it was an issue for that. Uh, but I don't talk to them anymore, so who knows what bandwagon they've jumped on since then. I know there are a lot of conservative Christians who are anti-vaccination because, you know, God will heal. And you're not trusting, That's you know, God say. to heal the kids. So, like, yeah. it, it, and each generation has to have this one flagship issue right. that they choose to <laughs> plant their flag on. Like, this one evidence-based issue that, as a matter of faith, for, I mean, because it doesn't really hurt anyone to deny evolution, even though it makes your brain you know, crinkle as, as a scientist, but that those beliefs, the anti-vaccine. Like no one's going to die because they think evolution isn't real. Yeah. But the vaccine stuff. Well, I mean, those beliefs encourage that, right? Like you're, you're ultimately taught and we were that faith was the most important. And it was just like, you'd have these altar calls of like, Hey, people go to the front, get prayed for. If you've got these illnesses, go get anointed by oil. And you know, God will, will heal you and whatever healing meant at the time. But that was part of the ideology. And I know, I know not everyone took it to the extreme of, well, now I don't need to go see my doctor, but I think that gave a bit of credence in what we were raised in to, to maybe advocate for that to a degree. I think it goes together with the evolution too, because it's just an overall distrust of authority um that's not of the church and science in general um because people are are distrustful of science based on the the theory then they're more likely to distrust science when it tells you other things that are directly applicable and important in their lives um for their health and safety and those kinds of things you guys have mentioned to me in the past about how your church and you know the whole the group that it comes from the assemblies of god churches um had this whole speaking in tongues thing did that uh, did that play into the whole science and or just wait back up i want to hear about that <laughs> sorry i just like and, dropped that mic right church, the only tongues we had was latin right yeah <laughs> and not... they were not enthusiastic about it yeah oh, this is different so, yeah, so did, did they do that at your church then? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Tell me what that looked yeah. like. I want to, like, set the scene. I mean, probably pull a YouTube video and easily find it. It's just oh babbling. I mean, and so... Is there any context? Or people just, like, randomly start 
like um, in the middle of a sermon. Yeah. It freak you out because they you you yeah you right in the middle of a sermon. Someone could be talking um, about something uh, totally mundane and and innocuous, like nothing like hallelujah, and then someone starts. Je- they would just be saying. And so, in this Bible verse, and I don't know, they all had their different versions of the talking in the tongues, and that was probably a really bad impression. <laughs> but, I don't think it's that far off. <laughs> but, uh, so then you'd have the person talk in tongues, mm-hmm. and then there was the pressure that somebody had to stand up and interpret whatever they said. Oh, wow. I mean, it takes it to a whole new level, right? Yeah. Like, like not yep. only do you get to speak in gibberish, you don't have to plan your sermon, right? You like, can just be like... Oh, I don't know what the fuck to but say. Well, Let me go in tongues. So, and then someone, one of your parishioners, like, nah, I got you, dude. And then um, he's like, oh, it would be Pastor so and so was saying. What if he said evolution is real? I know. Bet you that that uh, yeah, never happened. Never happened. Interestingly <laughs> enough, that didn't happen. So I um I went to college with with a girl, and she sounds a lot like you. She was brought up in a fundamentalist church, and then she ended up majoring in biology. And she told me that um, she spoke in tongues, but it was there was just sort of this social pressure. Mm-hmm. Like it was a mark of you were touched by God if you put that words in her mouth. And so mm-hmm. every once in a while, she'd just go up to the front, and she's like, I just closed my eyes and put my hands up and just started saying, humna, 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 and then she <laughs> clap. And it was like this... Right. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. It's a total attention grab. I mean, yeah. yeah. Did she... So when you were talking to her, did she own the fact that she was making that shit up? Yes. Okay. Because that's the thing that I I was talking with them about before is that, you know, this seems very attention-seeking behavior, clearly. And also this whole, if I speak in tongues, then I now have gotten, like, to be special, right? Because God has chosen me to do the weird speaking in tongues thing. You're not a freak. You are anointed by God. But that's the thing, right? Because I kind of almost think, I mean, you can talk yourself into believing anything about your quote-unquote inner voices right like Mm -hmm. you know sure she was making it up but maybe she could have convinced herself at the time like no this this is coming i'm feeling it yeah because it's kind of like i don't know like my mother my mother died three years ago and i'm not necessarily like i don't really know what i believe um but i'll see a butterfly and i'll be like oh my god it's mom you know Mm -hmm. and you can convince yourself of things. Mm-hmm. And so I can see that it's like, I mean, I'm sure that some people out there really believe. I think there's like three main kind of branches from things like that. And I'm going to tell you the story of, of me doing something like that in yes. a second. But there's the people who truly believe they have the gift and they feel that it is, they are definitely being compelled by God to do these things. There's the people who know they're full of shit and are doing it for attention. <laughs> and then there's the people who are, getting so much social pressure that they should do it because if they don't, then they're a bad Christian or whatever, what yeah. have you. So I think there's also that third category of people who feel like they're a bad Christian or they don't have these gifts and uh, there's something wrong with them if they don't do it. And maybe it's kind of a like, you know, a motor synchristic kind of uh, response to what they think they should be doing. And uh, one time we've gone on a missions trip and uh, to Mexico And uh, I remember there being um, some, uh, I was basically given a suggestion psychologically before we went down there. So this is what we do in Mexico. When you go to Mexico and and, uh, Mexican people who are religious, they are quote unquote slain in the spirit. When they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, they will collapse and fall to the ground, go unconscious, 
cry, um, eventually maybe fall asleep. So we were taught this as a group before we ever went down there. So partly so we wouldn't be freaked out about it because it wasn't something we did. Only in Mexico? It's not only in Mexico, but at the time okay. we, were, we were told specifically where we were going. Okay. This, this is their the culture. This is what they do. Okay. So what happens is we go down there, you know, like one of the nights we're having like this big, you know, kind of event where there's praying and there's, there's uh, preaching and there's testimonies and there's music and singing and all of this. And so gradually people around me from my church, not of that culture and background, start falling over and crying and doing these things you've maybe seen on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And so... I look around and I'm like one of the few people standing up still. Oh man. And so I'm like, <sighs> now you're the pariah. Why am I not the one? Why am I still standing up? I don't feel the need to, my, my knees didn't buckle on their own. I don't feel like this is weird. And so full on faked it because I didn't want to be the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of psychology, especially when you're a kid and you're impressionable, that has an effect on your behaviors and you know, not only the bad thing is not only was I deluding myself, but it's this this self-reinforcing groupthink that allows other people to then go ahead and say, oh, see, everyone else, we all had this experience. So it was real. Mm-hmm. And so you had the experience and I and none of us know that we're not the only ones faking. Everyone's faking, but we don't want to tell anybody. So we all think we're the only ones that faked it. Oh, yeah, it must be real. Was I there mean, anybody like, standing oh. at the end? I don't recall, to be honest, <laughs> probably a couple people that weren't yeah. as impressionable as me. I don't know. Um, were you there that time? I don't, think I don't so. know. Okay, no. so, yeah. I mean, I, when you tell me this thought process, it really brings me back to, like, the Salem witch trials, right. you know? And and then it gets me thinking, because I believe your church had a similar Salem witch trial. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we take a break? Okay, and then we'll come back because this is fascinating. I did not realize you guys were part of this until Summer told me. Dale Akiki, a man who, as a volunteer in their same church in the early 1990s, was caught up in satanic panic and accused of a horrific number of child abuse instances, including elephant and giraffe sacrifices while the parents were attending church upstairs. After a nine-month trial and 30 months of imprisonment, Akiki was cleared of every charge. That's part two of our interview, coming up next time on What the Woo. Don't forget to subscribe to our WooCast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly on our website at whatthewoopodcast.com. You can email us at contact at whatthewoopodcast.com or go to our website and fill out the contact form there. We'd love to hear from you. What the Woo is an educational podcast and is not a substitute for professional care and advice. Please seek appropriate medical care for any health care concerns. Opinions expressed are solely those of the doctors and not those of any sponsors or employers. Thanks for listening. See you next time on What the Woo.